And some of the research shows that young people are looking for meaning and purpose uh, in their work, but also to be able to have a positive societal impact beyond the profit motive in the workplace. And increasingly, young people want to be associated with employers and colleagues who are ethical and a force for good. Hello, and welcome to Vocational Voices, the official podcast of the National Centre for Vocational Education Research, or NCVER for short. I'm Steve Davis, and today's episode has been produced for National Skills Week 2023. It's entitled Vet Pathways to Meaningful Careers. Our vocational voices today are Joy DeLeo, NCVER, and Michael Healy, Education Services Australia. Welcome both of you to the podcast. Thank you, Steve. The concept of meaningful work, it's something that's been regularly voiced by participants in vet research for many years. Uh, For example, uh, in 2009, in an NCVR paper entitled Careers in Vocational Education and Training, What Are They Really Like? An education manager is quoted uh, describing her career as meaningful work where I get to make a difference, work that challenges my intellect and becomes part of who I am in a positive and uplifting way. Uh, Similarly, in the 2000 NCVR paper, How People Choose Vocational Education and Training Programs, the authors there note, here's another quote, some students in courses in the engineering field were looking for qualifications that would lead them to meaningful employment, as opposed to their past employment experiences, which had been intermittent, part-time and insecure. And again, and finally, in uh, 2006, NCVR paper entitled Mix or Match, New Apprentices' Learning Styles and Trainers' Preferences for Training in Workplaces, the authors there note recurring themes in their research and previous surveys of apprentices in the automotive and hospitality sectors, namely that their top learning preferences were for effective instructors, clearly articulated process for assessment in the workplace, quality relationships between new apprentices and their workplace colleagues, and the opportunity to undertake meaningful work to support learning. But what does meaningful mean? And what are the pathways for achieving that end? We hope to tackle that today in a meaningful way, dare I say it. Uh, But first, Joy, may I turn to you? Um, Could you give us a brief overview of the current status of the labour market? Thanks, Steve. Well, it's a very good time for job seekers, uh, uh, the best we've seen in a very long time, with unemployment at a very low rate at about 3.6%, although it's starting to creep up and it, it might change in the future. But it's not so good for employers, particularly in some industries, especially since work participation is decreasing with the ageing population. And uh, we heard uh, about that today with the launch of the intergenerational report 
Uh, that's moving very quickly, and I'll talk about that later. Um, but people are retiring and reducing their workouts. So it's not so easy to resolve this with migration because we have a current housing crisis. So a key way to address skill shortages is for governments to provide incentives for students, uh, for existing workers and also for employers so that people can train or retrain in those new and emerging occupations, but particularly for those occupations that are in demand. And those incentives can take the form of training subsidies or fee-free courses, for example, incentives for employers to take on apprentices and so on. But I'd like to share some data on what those top occupations are. And I'm just going to look at, at the top four or five uh, because this is useful for job seekers to know. Uh, data from Jobs and Skills Australia in December 2022 show that skill shortages actually have worsened across the board in most occupational groups. And many of those require a VET qualification, that's a vocational education and training qualification, especially at certificate levels three, four, diploma and above. And 40% of jobs growth over the next four years will be at those level. So it's a good time to study or to consider studying VET at this time, particularly in the areas where there are most of the skill gaps in the labour force. And some of those top occupations in demand that I mentioned are firstly and foremost in the care professions, top of the list, um, particularly nursing, but, but also aged care, childcare, disability care. And these are absolutely critical because the intergenerational report that was uh, released this week shows that in the next 40 years, people requiring aged care will double and we don't have the population coming through um, to meet that demand. We also uh, have occupations that require digital skills, and those are increasingly applied across most occupations, but particularly in those ICT roles, specialist roles, such as programmers and software analysts and so on. Also in building and construction, the trades, particularly construction managers, and in hospitality, such as for chefs and cooks. But Steve, the real problem is the mismatch between those occupations in demand and the low number of students currently undertaking training to prepare for those jobs. And just to give you a quick example, we have only about 5% of the nurses currently undertaking training, at least in vet anyway, that we would need annually and not all complete their training in nursing, for example, um, 5%. And the gap in digital skills is similar. So the situation is quite serious. Um, so as I said before, the intergenerational report shows that um, with our ageing population, the number of people requiring care will double. So we really need to find a way to meet that demand. I really think... As compared to any of the interviews we've done in Vocational Voices, any stakeholders who have the chance to influence outcomes here, there must surely be a selfish factor that should propel all of us. I mean, if we look at aged care, 
We're all heading up in that area <laughs> sooner rather than later. Absolutely. ICT and security, especially with an ageing population, so many scams going on that this is a, an area of, of great importance to all of us. Trying to get any renovations done to modify homes to allow for more people to dwell within building shortages and then being able to go out and relax and try and socialise instead of cocooning relies on <laughs> hospitality. So we all should have intrinsic motivation to try and tweak things and get things right, which is probably time to turn to Michael on this front. If we if we look at those top occupations, especially in the care sector, what are some of the challenges in, in meeting the skills for them? It's really interesting when we, I think, when we talk about skills gaps and things, because I think sometimes in the media and, and you know, politicians discussing that, sometimes I feel like uh, these skills are autonomous beings in themselves they say we need skills we need um, to fill these skills gap and we need to remember that it's people that fill these gaps um, people with certain skills certainly but uh, it, it's people that will become aged care workers and people that will go and work in um, you know cyber security and so forth and so we need to recognize some of the other factors that people use to make uh, career and education decisions I think because Certainly, it's very useful to use labour market information to identify opportunities so that you can have some degree of confidence that if I invest my time and effort and money into this training program, that there will be an outcome uh, in terms of employment. But, you know, if we take the example of aged care, um, I could... I could quite confidently go and do a, a certificate of aged care, I think, and I'm sure that I could do it well academically and I could learn the skills to keep people safe and, and you know, look after them in an in a aged care environment. But I'm not sure that I'm the person suited to do that work. Um, I can't quite put my finger on why mm. I might like that, but, it, you know, I'm not necessarily someone who is highly motivated to care for someone in that very intimate physical way. It's just not who I am. Um, so we need people to combine their their values and their character strengths, such as empathy, patience. You know, that's the kind of person that we want to be looking after our elderly. It's the kind of person I'd like to look after me when I need it. Yes. Um, and if we take the digital skills, um, digital uh, ICT work is essentially problem solving constantly um, because we know that the problems, once you solve it, technology's moved on and it's a whole new problem. You need to learn how to do it all over again. So we need people with curiosity. So I think one way that we can look at it is how do we match the people that have those innate sort of qualities that suit particular kinds of work and then equip them, equip them with the particular skills and competencies that we need to do the work? Because skills will often change, but those innate qualities tend to be fairly stable over time. Um, so in my mind, it's a little bit of finding the right person for the right role with, and then equipping them with the right skills in order to perform that role. It's a perfect storm of, of settings here to make meaning in, in the lens of work and vocation uh, really salient because if we think about it, some jobs, the, the meaning aspect of it is right at the service, aged care. You can't get anything with more meaning that at the end of your day, you have directly impacted a person's life who is dependent upon your support. And in ICT, depending on what you're doing, 
extrinsically you can uh, overlay a sense of uh, meaning in that. And so just before we go, I do want to stop briefly and ask both of you, what working definition do you use for meaningful in this arena of careers and vocation? Joy, can I start with you? Yes, and 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 I'll introduce some of my personal views as well, as well as trying to weave in some of the research. Meaning for me is to find a match between the values that are expressed in the nature of the work in the workplace. It might be the employer's values for the organisation and my own values. And just from my own personal experience in the past, if I've worked with an organisation where my values conflict with those of the organisation, it creates internal conflict within me. And some of the research shows that uh, uh, young people are looking for meaning and purpose uh, in their work, but also to be able to have a positive societal impact beyond the profit motive in the workplace. And apparently this has become uh, a number one driver for young people in making uh, career choices. And increasingly young people want to be associated with employers and colleagues who are ethical and a force for good. And having the scales tipped in the favour of the employees at the moment gives more breathing space, I suppose, to stand up for that as opposed to the desperation when it's tipped the other way of just wanting to hold on to a job to eat. Uh, Michael, meaning for you in this context, what's your heuristic? What's your working definition? So I'm, 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 a, I'm a bit of an academic nerd. So when I, I like to learn about things, I go and read um, articles and books about them. And there's a scholar uh, by the name of Brian Dick at Colorado State University. Um, he wrote a great book called Make Your Job a Calling. Um, and his point is that, um, you know, callings, the, the sense of having a calling in life Um sometimes comes naturally to us we we sort of just have it but it's something that you can actually sort of find you you can find your calling by being proactive about understanding what you what's important to you and what sort of environments will will support that um so matching that as joy was saying those values of your employer or your profession with your own personal values um when he talks about meaning he talks about three layers of it um, the first being is that the work itself is meaningful. It, you are producing something of importance or you are performing, um, offering a service that is important in comparison to that kind of work that I think many of us have done sometimes where we write a report or we do um, uh, some kind of work that we don't really see it as having any lasting impact um, or we, we, we send it up the chain and never hear about it again. That's, that can sometimes lack meaning. The other level is in our life, in our in our family and in our community, that being a teacher is not just what we do in the classroom, but it's what we do in the community. On the weekends, people recognise us. You know, the kids come up to us uh, when they're 25 years old and they, they recognise us if you're a teacher. Yeah. Or a nurse, you know, you might, you know, you credit that person for looking after you. So it's, it's, it's a sort of uh, social um, role that we play uh, in relation to our work. And then there's the, you know, the altruistic sort of element of meaningful work and that we are doing something good for the world. And, you know, that can mean many different things. It doesn't necessarily have to look the same for everybody. Some of us 
want to um, look after the environment. Some of us want to save lives. Some of us want to educate children. Um, you know, some of us want to help people thrive in their business through accounting or law, for example. So those three things, you know, come together beautifully. And I think, as you mentioned, Steve, you know, our experience recently of the disruption of the labour market and COVID and all the rest of it gave us an opportunity to recognise some of those things. And many people are making decisions now um, that they're going to scale back in their work or make a change in their work because they have recognised the value of some of these um, less tangible sort of uh, returns on their on their on their labour. This is why I love talking to learned people on Vocational Voices because you reference an academic. My my equivalent is Seth Godin in a book called Lynchpin, which he wrote almost 10 years ago now at least, which talking similar things but in more layperson language. And one last insertion uh, in my own business doing consulting for small business – at the time of recording, the day before was a Sunday, I was exhausted and I had a client request an after-dinner chat with her and her husband on an issue that had arisen. I was pooped, but I said yes, and then the coin dropped. I'm like a country GP attending to people after <laughs> hours, and it changed my think. It just tweaked yeah. my thinking to understand the meaningful impact for their lives that I had the, the skill to do. And I, I think... At this time, reflecting on the joy that can come from that, I think these sorts of conversations help bring that into focus. Yeah, absolutely. Given the, the challenges and the barriers that we've discussed so far, let's, let's turn things around. How do we attract potential students to train in these areas of need and provide meaningful and, and satisfying work? I think it's important to raise employer awareness around what staff are looking for, young people and existing for, uh, workers, what they're looking for in a job. And, and they're looking for flexibility and choice, um, a work-life balance, in addition to meaning and, and purpose. But they're also interested in the culture of the organisation, an inclusive culture, um, and they like to be treated with respect. And uh, we had a recent um, uh, research report by um, Josie Misko, which showed that a contributing factor to some apprentices ab abandoning their apprenticeship uh, was actually an unsatisfactory relationship or conflict with their employer. So positive working relationships and a positive working environment are really important. So, so they would be some of the things. Mm, Michael? I absolutely agree with the role of relationships. Uh, they can certainly, you know, turn people away from uh, occupations and professions. A bad experience uh, could put people away. So we need to make sure that we're putting people in front of particularly young people who really um, demonstrate all the best things about particular careers and can give uh, people insights into what those roles look like. I think the labour market information and exploring the world of work is really crucial. So particularly for these emerging occupations such as the digital skills that Joy referred to, it's really hard to know what they are um, if you're an outsider. It's hard to know what the day-to-day -day life of someone in those roles looks like. So uh, information and experiences where people can learn before they, you know, invest, uh, you know, a year, two years, three years into training that they can uh, establish for themselves whether they fit well with that. And then also I think we need to recognise that there are some barriers to people pursuing these goals. Um, nursing is a good example. To become a nurse, you need to do 
your placements. And there's uh, been a bit of discussion recently about unpaid placements and how they can cause significant stresses uh, to students. It can make it impossible for them to complete their, their education. It can be incredibly stressful for them and their families. So um, certainly we need nurses to undertake placements, but we need to think carefully about how we um, enable people, regardless of what their training is, to do what's required of them um, and make sure that we're not putting up barriers because we want the, the best possible people to go into these occupations. I think we're all in furious agreement on this, and especially with that focus on nurturing and honouring relationships within the workplace to enable this meaningfulness to happen. But the people in charge in leadership have come through older ways of doing things. Have you either of you seen anything within the VET ecosystem that helps the messaging get through to those in power to understand the importance of facilitating the human connections at work? It's a good question, um, Steve, and, and I think there's definitely a role um, for leaders um, in government and in agencies, but also for uh, career counsellors in schools and uh, career guidance staff in registered training organisations, training providers, um, because they can help students become aware of, of, of how and where to obtain uh, uh, meaningful employment and also to access funding subsidies, youth allowances, student loans and so on um, to, to be able to undertake training. But there's also an additional issue of managing financial demands. I mean, people are really doing it tough at the moment financially. People have to pay the rent and contribute to the family budget and so on. Um, but finding a way to balance part-time work with part-time studies, training providers can actually help um, with advice around part-time study or uh, study online. Um, and in some cases, there might be a place for casual and part-time work while students are navigating their way through studies towards their chosen um, occupation. Um, they can also help with course advice and finding um, good study uh, pathways to to employment. Um, mm. So there, there's some of the suggestions um, that I have. Michael? One thing I'm quite interested in myself, and it's a large part of my role at uh, my future, where we provide career information for students to so that they can explore work and education pathways, is the role of industry bodies, um, who I've found to be very proactive for the most part about um, helping make some of those relationships and enable those points of connection between career explorers or people who are considering entering into a profession and the the kind of mentors or role models in those professions. So, for example, we've been working recently with the Clean Energy Council um, to populate our website with a few career stories of people from very different backgrounds and who have followed very different career pathways talking about what the day-to-day -day is like. Uh, so I think the role of industry is really crucial here as well because I've found them very proactive. They all want to promote their their their, their industry and, and, and get the best people coming into it. Um, there's a proliferation of mentoring programs, information programs, uh, uh, online virtual experiences becoming a, a, a quite a popular way of allowing students from all over Australia, indeed all over the world, mm -hmm. to get a taste of what it's like to do a kind of work. So all of these kind of things are, 
are quite marvellous and should be supported. I'm glad you mentioned clean energy, Michael, because it prompted me. I mean, clean energy, AI, these are fields where there is technology advancing at a rate of knots, always changing. This surely must have implications for students and and new job entrants. What are you both seeing on on this front? There's no doubt that the nature of work is changing rapidly and there's more change to come. Um, It's been happening for a while. We see it with automated calls and information, bank tellers, self-managed bookings and checkouts at airports and supermarkets and so on. But this is just the tip of the iceberg. However, it is thought that the new jobs, particularly the clean energy um, uh, technologies that you mentioned, um, that they are being uh, created as a result of this technology and they're likely to compensate for the loss of jobs brought about by those developments. And, of course, it remains to be seen whether that is the case. And I think the transition period uh, will be bumpy. Uh, But young people need to be aware of what those new and emerging jobs might be and they're likely to continually change, but also to know what the jobs on the way out are so that they don't invest in training for those um, jobs as well. The problem is whether the training will be there in time for those new jobs because things are moving faster than training for those jobs can keep up. Um, So career advisors and training organisations really need to keep themselves up up to date with new and emerging occupations and those that are likely to become redundant so that they can give accurate, up-to-date information to students on the implications of their career choices. So, for example, you wouldn't want to become a postal worker or a travel agent or a telemarketer, a cashier or a truck driver. All of those occupations are on the way out. And, of course, some will remain, like teaching and health workers and tradespeople. They might change and become AI-assisted, but there are new occupations coming online according to the World Economic Forum. So we'll need AI experts, cybersecurity, virtual reality, managing tide water, environmental sustainability and all the clean energy technologies, even new occupations such as becoming a smart home designer, Uh, creating work environments that foster well-being and collaboration. So uh, it's exciting, but also a bit tumultuous. Michael, your thoughts on that? Also, I I, I think I note there's nuance here too. In the ones on the way out, there there will still be some residual opportunities, but it's where we direct our energies. Michael? Absolutely. I mean, if we look at history, there certainly have been times where entire Uh, occupations have disappeared overnight. We can look at the cotton gin and the steam engine and so forth. Um, But the fact is that most often technology uh, changes occupations more than it replaces them entirely. Um, Now, certainly there will be in some sectors significant loss of, you know, jobs. Um, But as Joy mentioned, often the technology that is replacing those jobs brings other jobs with it. you know, things like AI, yes, the, um, you know, copywriters and, and graphic designers are, are, should be quite cautious at the moment and thinking carefully about how they are going to cope with these changes. But at the same time, their roles in many cases will change and, and, and evolve in their own different ways. So I think something that we can do with, uh, to help people approach this is, first of all, 
equip them with um, some data literacy and information literacy so that they can seek out quality information that goes beyond the headlines um, to recognize where uh, opportunities might be or where risks might be, but also some critical thinking for them to assess the degree to which, you know, national trends apply to them in their regional location, you know, whether an industry in decline, is it in decline across Australia or is there a pocket where it's still thriving, you know? These nuances certainly exist and, and with the right information, people can find them. But most importantly, we should be teaching our young people in particular, but everybody should be able to adopt an attitude of adaptability, knowing that change is going to come for all of our jobs, for all of our lives, no matter what it looks like. It could be a sudden career shock, such as, you know, the, the, the C word, COVID-19. Mm. It could be a gradual change in technology or government investment. You know, when uh, when we change our governments, we all sort of think, and we, or we read the budget and we think, okay, what does this mean for me in my occupation? So that attitude of scanning the horizon, looking at quality information and asking, what are the implications or what could the implications be for me and my role in my profession? What can I do in order to anticipate change, prepare for change, and cope with change when it happens? Um, the worst thing that we can do is be complacent and just stay along. Yeah, look, I'm aware that also people talk about uh, there's been data and research that someone's leaving school now, they'll, they'll have five or six different careers throughout their life. I used to think that's because they would just change their mind, but from what we're saying, it could be natural attrition that the role they're on has disappeared or, or morphed completely as well, which is an aspect of that saying, which I never quite grabbed until just now. One last very quick thing before we round up with your final thoughts, and that is you, you look at a lot of cohorts uh, in this realm of VET. Intergenerationally, do we think there's anything prompting this probing about meaning that's coming from the younger generational cohorts as they move through with the different influences on them. Uh, I'm working with someone who is a counsellor at the moment and a millennial, and her uh, messaging is to bring millennial values to the workplace. Is is this a, I think, Joy, you're nodding. What, what A couple of quick thoughts on that? Yeah, just very quickly. I think that's certainly true, but also at the other end as well, um, older workers uh, also wanting to uh, find meaning in their work because maybe they've had a long uh, career and are wanting more, and I've heard a lot of that as well. But certainly uh, young people do bring a different dimension to the workplace and a very welcome one as well. To be honest with you, I'm sometimes a bit sceptical about the, the generational differences because yep. I think that um, young people, old people and everyone in between basically want similar things. They want to be recognised for the work that they do financially, but also um, in their community, they want to feel like they're doing something of importance. I think maybe if there's a difference, I would probably put it down to younger generations being more forthright about uh, what's important to them. We're, you know, we're in a society now where it's more acceptable to wear your heart on your sleeve and speak up and and, and make decisions, you know, vocally about whether whether you like something or you don't. But, I, you know, I remember talking to my uh, 85-year-old uncle about being a, a cane cutter in Queensland and the pride that he had for that work and, you know, and the stories he told about it. Um, he found a lot of meaning in that work and he carried it throughout his life. So I don't think that that's unique yeah. uh, to young people. Maybe they're just 
a little bit more vocal about it. Some crystallised thoughts there. <laughs> uh, just just in closing, I'll, I'll go to both of you again with any messages that you'd like to leave for the, the various stakeholders. So we've got students, uh, there are parents, there are career advisors and, and even RTOs. Joy, what... Advice from you. <laughs> yes, for school students or, or new entrants to the workforce, I would say make hay while the sun shines. Uh, do your research, get some really good advice from various informed sources, not just from your friends who might be in the same boat as you, mm -hmm. but find a match between what you're good at what you love doing and an occupation in demand that isn't on the way out, and that's gold. Um, the situation currently with with uh, uh, it being uh, uh, um, a job market for young people and uh, lots of jobs available, that situation might not last forever. So make the most of it now and establish yourself in your chosen career as soon as you can. And Michael? I would just like to say that career development is lifelong. It starts from a very early age, prior to school. It ends after retirement. And people need different support at different times. We need quality career information. We need career services, career advice. Uh, it needs to be targeted to the needs of people, but it needs to represent that lifelong career journey. Career development is also life-wide. It's not just about work. It's about our leisure activities, our faith. It can be about our community interaction. We talked about meaning in work. People get a lot of meaning from being a netball coach or, you know, volunteering at the soup kitchen. And so I think as society, we could probably do a little bit more to recognise um, how people contribute to the community outside of their employment, remove um, barriers, increase support. And recognise that as part of our the expression of our career. Thank you both to Joy DeLeo and Michael Healy for joining Vocational Voices. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Steve. Thank you. Vocational Voices is produced by NCVER on behalf of the Australian Government and State and Territory Governments with funding provided through the Australian Government Department of Employment and Workplace Relations. For further information, please visit ncver.edu.au.